The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with Ellie Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning and welcome to Our Wild World. Over several episodes, I've introduced the wide variety of conflicts and associated cascades of consequences of our human actions on wildlife, from keeping it captive to our ever-increasing encroachment and negative activities in wild places and associated effects on wild animal populations and their environs. Today, with my guest, Tim Snow in South Africa, and Mark Paxton in Namibia, our focus highlights the consequences of our interferences, directly discussing the deliberate and indiscriminate poisoning of wildlife via readily available toxins and commercial products, and thus, by default, the need for wildlife poisoning prevention and conflict resolution between people and predators. Furthermore, that now, more than ever, to find solutions, we need to address the history of conflict between people and wildlife and appropriate resolution and management tools for the medium and long term, as well as the need for critical investigative tools to analyze the wildlife crime scenes when lethal and illegal methods are employed to kill animals perceived as a problem and toward resolving wildlife conflicts to the benefit of both the wildlife and the people who live with and care for them. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome my guests, Tim Snow and Mark Paxton. Hello. Hi. Hello, Ellie. And um, welcome. So, Tim, you're in. You're calling us in from uh, South Africa, and Mark, you're calling in from Namibia. It's been quite the process getting us all connected today, and we've uh, got a lot to cover today, and not a whole lot of time. So, how about we get started by each of you giving us a very brief background on yourselves, and then we're going to get into the core of today, which is leading up to a very important and critical workshop that's coming up in Namibia, being um, put forth by Tim and uh, organized with Mark. So, Tim, let's start with you. Well, uh, good morning, Ellie. Good morning. Um, my, good my evening. background. Well, it's quite late in the evening for us, but uh, my background is that uh, I've worked in wildlife all my life. <clears throat> it's about um, 34, 35 years of working in wildlife now. Um, I've worked in the private sector, I've worked in the government sector, and I've worked in the NGO sector. Um, I, 
I was part of a poison working group of the Endangered Wildlife Trust, and that uh, working group was disbanded a few years ago, and I, see, I still uh, see a need for um, for the wildlife poisoning prevention and the conflict resolution. So I've started the small NGO wildlife poisoning prevention and conflict resolution. Um, and just to give some background on that, we we've had a number of poisonings in the past year, where in the past couple of years, where uh, it's clear that um, poisoning is escalating uh, in the in the region. Uh, some work that I've done in the past indicates up to 470,000 game birds and waterfowl that are poisoned annually in South Africa alone. And we've had events of up to 600 vultures uh, poisoned uh, by uh, elephant carcasses that have been laced with toxins by poachers. So we're uh, going to get into so that a little bit more as we move in, the cascades of these consequences of one single poisoning of one single carcass. So let's hold on that for a little bit, and let's let um, Mark come on in and tell us where he fits into this whole picture. <clears throat> okay. Hi, Ellie. Um, hi, Mark. Very much like Tim, I've been in, in the field of nature conservation for upwards of 40 years. Uh, started as a game ranger and uh, escalated into uh, government Government uh, nature conservation, private uh, private nature conservation, game ranching, the hunting profession, uh, and also NGO work. And um, until about ten years ago, was in fact doing doing that, uh, and then deviated from the field of conservation and started my own lodge in uh, in the uh, Kavanga region up on the Okavanga River. Uh, where I still had a lot of connections with uh, nature conservation contacts that I had, people that I'd worked with, did a lot of NGO work, community development work, and uh, got to know this region in which we've been now for over 20 years. Um, just how I got into this poison thing, we, um, although I'm not in the field of nature cons conservation at the moment, um, We've had poisoning incidences uh, in this Kavanga region in northern Namibia where, where I live and very close to me. And um, about a year and a half ago, um, one particular incident which hit the newspapers where elephant, uh, a poached elephant was laced with poisons and that resulted in the death of between 500 to 700 elephants. And of course... Um, a lot of the uh, conservationists in Namibia started uh, screaming and shouting and, uh, you know, I decided that uh, it would be a good idea to get a group together instead of everybody on their own termite heap doing their own screaming and shouting, getting a group together and do, a, do some collective constructive screaming and shouting. So, and, that, uh, leads us, so that leads us into today's conversation. So we're, we, we've sort of trickled around the the outskirts of this, so let's get right into it. Um, so for the benefit of our listeners, I think what we need to do is define some of these issues. So um, a lot of people understand that poaching is a big issue and poaching of elephant for ivory and rhino for horn, and that they usually think it's done by armed gangs and guns. But po uh, poisoning is a whole other can of worms, so to speak, and the poisoning of one carcass um, whether it be 
a, a kill by a lion and in retaliation to kill the lions that have killed the cow, let's say, or direct poisoning of a targeted species. Let's talk a little bit about the poisons and the toxins that are used and how it <clears throat> totally affects the landscape much more than that single animal that's been poisoned. Tim, let's start with you. Okay. Ellie, well, from, from our experience, uh, I've been um, monitoring the toxins used or, or the, the predominant toxins, the most um, the most lethal and, and one that is widely used is aldicarb. Uh, the the product name is Temic. It's a Bayer product. Um, Bayer have uh, taken cognizance of the problem. The product has been removed from the market, but it still uh, it is still found extensively throughout Southern Africa uh, on the informal markets. Is it, um, similar second, to, is it similar to um, what it, carbofuran and what was used in Kenya as a pesticide and readily available in the little local markets as a pesticide? Ellie, it's, it's uh, in the same chemical class. It's also carbamate, um, but it is 10 times more toxic than carbofuran. Carbofuran is the second on our hit list, and... Uh, we find carbofuran north of South Africa's borders. We found the predominance of of aldicarb in South Africa, but uh, the aldicarb is is uh, it's used on um, potatoes and tobacco crops predominantly, and so it's a very common product in uh, South Africa and Zimbabwe. The so how, is it, how is it used? How is it gained by people? And who, who is using it, and how are they using it? Ellie, it's predominantly uh, it's predominantly sourced on the informal markets by unscrupulous people who who repack uh, the commercial packages into small containers, um, little uh, straws of about you know approximately a teaspoonful of of uh, granules. And then they sell that as a rodenticide or, a, you know, they, they trade it as a rodenticide, although it has no label markings, no packaging, uh, and it takes experience to be able to identify those, uh, particularly those two on, on the illegal markets. So it um, only takes a teaspoon to kill an elephant or not even that? Uh, no, no, uh, Ellie, the, the chemicals differ. It's, uh, the, the chemicals differ in their mode of action and, and their uh, dosages. Um, but just to give you an idea of the toxicity of a chemical like aldicarb, um, about, a, about a quarter teaspoonful would be enough to kill a man of 100 kilograms. So oh. for... So for an elephant, the the way that um, the poachers use it is they would they would sprinkle the the um, product on a, a half a papaya, and the elephant would come and take that in one bite. The way the modus operandi in some of the uh, Zimbabwe and Namibia uh, poisonings is during the dry season the the poachers uh, sink a, a plastic drum, a 20-liter plastic drum, 
into the ground so it's stable and then they fill it with water and they stir in cyanide from mining operations or whatever toxin they can get their hands on. And uh, 20 liters an elephant would uh, drink in, in well, one gulp as fast as Mark and I could drink a beer on a hot day. So it's this, so we've we've figured out how the toxin is being used, and you had done a post. Uh, you can uh, for our listeners, you can follow both Mark Paxton on Facebook through his public group Core K O A R, and Tim Snow through his group Wildlife Poisoning Con- uh, Res- Conflict Resolution and Prevention. And you can also find him at his website at. Um, what is that, wildlifepoisoningprevention.co.za. And uh, you can also learn more about Mark through his lodge and camp in Namibia, and that's uh, Shimvura, S-H-I-M-V-U-R-A, I I believe. Um, You can correct me if I'm wrong, and we will post more of this on uh, our Wild World Facebook page. So, Mark, you had alluded to earlier Three, between 300 and 750 elephants that uh, hit the news and the headlines from a cyanide poisoning. Um, how do you, and this is the whole purpose of what you and Tim are doing, is um, investigating and preserving crime scenes of wildlife poisonings. So, Mark, tell us a, a bit more about how you found out about this elephant poisoning and some of the effects, and what I understand is that it's a really abhorrent, cruel way for an animal to die. And then I'd like to get a bit more into, and we might have time before the, the second half, um, how, how it affects these animals. And it, it's devastating, and the further effects, the cascade through the ecosystem. We've got about four minutes until our break. So, Mark, why don't you come on in? Okay, Ellie, let me just correct you. The spelling of Shamvura is S-H-A-M-V-U-R-A, and my place is called Shamvura Camp. And uh, contrary to what you've been saying, and possibly Tim, um, the poisoning incidences in Namibia so far have not been actually direct poisoning of elephants as such. Um, It's been... um, um, elephants and other animals that have been poached, in other words, shot for either the ivory or the other natural products, and then the carcasses have been poisoned um, to prevent the vultures from actually showing, uh, showing off the carcass and as a result bringing in law enforcement authorities. So what the poachers seem to have been doing in these northern parts of Namibia, particularly in the Caprivi or the Zambezi region, is they will shoot an elephant, uh, and then lace the carcass with poison and stand back for a day or two um, and then come back once uh, all the vultures have been killed and, um, and then take the, uh, uh, take the ivory at their leisure. What is happening in other parts of Namibia, though, is uh, waterholes on game farms are being poisoned as well, um, very similar to the incident of cyanide being used to poison uh, the elephants in uh, Hwangi Park in Zimbabwe. Um, what poisons are being used is very, it's very difficult to actually ascertain, but I've heard talk of even Jay's fluid, which is a, a toilet cleaner. Um, so that's just one of the many poisons that have been used. 
or poisonings that have been used. As far as poisons availability, poisons are readily available in these northern areas, um, as Tim very correctly says, by unscrupulous uh, traders. And unfortunately, in Namibia, in northern Namibia, it all seems to be connected to the Chinese, uh, which come into this country as contractors, uh, particularly doing roads and other infrastructure. And uh, they seem to have all these illegal poison substances readily available uh, in large quantities, which they decant into smaller quantities and sell on the road for very, very cheap prices, undercutting everybody. And in this northern Namibia area, they've been sold as uh, 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 term, um, for termite poisoning. So, and and very, very cheap. So, a lot of the local people that have vegetable gardens um, and, you know, around their houses and uh, for commercial purposes will buy poisons like this to prevent the termites and other pesticides. What's also happening in northern Namibia, and, and we had an incident where um, agricultural project, a project along the Okavanga River, um, have poison storage um, for for agricultural use, which is totally uncontrolled and un, uh, totally unmonitored, and uh, with a large labour force that has access to these uncontrolled uh, poison storages, they take the poisons out and use them um, to poison other forms of wildlife, particularly at the moment in these rural populations, uh, it's birds. They poison um, uh, the seeds, grain, grain seeds, and then scatter the grain, poison grain seeds around their lands, and they kill game birds and other birds. That's what we found at the moment. Well, um, I need to interrupt because we need to cut to a break, but our listeners can tell how huge this issue is and how devastating it is across the ecosystem. So we have a lot to get into. We're going to cut away to a short break. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Listen for Trust Across America every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in as the show is often hosted by national experts in the fields of leadership, teamwork, management, 
corporate responsibility, accounting, governance, finance, organizational behavior, and sustainability, as well as companies that are applying strategies that are enabling them to be more trustworthy. Your hosts are trusted professionals with years of experience in applying strategies with today's leading organizations. Trust Across America is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. The world we live in has become a crazy place. Poverty is at an all-time high in the wealthiest nation on earth. We keep calling on government to save us with new programs. And now, we have more people using food stamps than any time in our history. This problem continues to get worse. The answer to poverty is in our homes, churches, and communities, and through our children. Get the answers from The Mickey Ellison Show, Wednesdays at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to Our Wild World. And welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss, Our Wild World, and my guest today, Tim Snow, with Wildlife Poisoning and Conflict and Prevention. I'm sorry, I mixed that up completely. Wildlife Poisoning Prevention and Conflict Resolution, and Mark Paxton uh, in Namibia with uh, Shambura Lodge, and how private lodge owners uh, also join in as much a part of conservation as government and NGOs. So before the break, we were talking about the devastating uh, consequences and the poisons and the toxins used and who's using it and where it's coming from. And um, let's just talk a little bit more for the benefit of our listeners that this toxin, when used, doesn't just kill this one animal. You are highlighting, Mark, how many vultures are dying. Vultures are really taking a hit from as a side effect on purpose, deliberately, but a side effect of poisoned carcasses. And then you are leading into how much other wildlife is also being affected by poison. Can you just quickly give us a bit more about that? And then, Tim, I'd like you to come back in with um, crime scene detection. Mark? Okay. Uh, Ellie, um, yeah, um, as far as other wildlife that is being affected, um, this, this use of poisons to poison uh, or to lace the carcasses um, of, of already killed uh, uh, animals and also to poison water holes. It's a relatively new concept in Namibia. It was basically first uh, found about uh, a year and a half ago with one elephant carcass that killed between 500 and 700 vultures. But that is one of many carcasses that go undetected in these areas. Um, so we have really no idea how many vultures particularly um, vultures are, are, are being killed. You know, it's a vast remote area and uh, the only patrol methods are via road and these are main, mainly roadless areas. Uh, now and again, every two or three years, the authorities do uh, sporadic um, counts over the area by, by the use of fixed-wing uh, aircraft and they pick up a few carcasses. 
but these are generally after the fact, and some of them are two, three years old, or two, two three months old, if put it that way. And uh, with regard to other forms of wildlife, we have no idea at the moment how many of uh, other uh, scavengers like uh, hyena, lion, uh, and the other smaller varieties of, of, of wildlife that feed on, on carcasses and, you know, possibly even feed on dead vultures. Because, uh, as I say, the remoteness of this area is, is, is a factor that, that's very difficult to, 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 to um, it doesn't aid the monitoring of, of this situation at all. And then, of course, our, our authorities, our Ministry of Environment and Tourism has, uh, as, as with all environmental organisations, government organisations, they have constraints with vehicles, staff, um, basically, uh, you know, getting around and monitoring these these, these areas. And also, uh, and Tim will come in on this as well, is um, there's a lack of understanding at the moment because it is pretty new to Namibia as such. Um, people don't kind of gr grasp the vastness of this, don't recognise it as a poisoning incident. And that was definitely the case with the poisoning incident we came across a year ago on the Okavanga River where game birds were being poisoned for, from the uh, agricultural project here yeah, with the misuse of poisons um, along the river system. So um, it, it's, it's a pretty new concept in, um, in Namibia as such. Do you need me to go on with the No, what I, what I was going to say is um, it's amazing how it has swept across the African continent, this concept of poisoning because up to three, year, three and four years ago, it was highlighted very much in the news, 60 Minutes, you name it, headlines of the poisonings going on with lions, mostly predators, in Kenya and East Africa. And now I'm hearing you say that it's a new concept in Namibia. So our listeners need to understand that the problem has not gone away. It may be slightly under control in East Africa, but as China, as Mark has said, and I hate to point fingers, but China is sweeping across the African continent, and coming with it is a lot of um, insecurity. Uh, the armed uh, gangs and the poisonings and cartels that are connected and have access to resources. So Mark has highlighted just how huge this problem is, how sweeping it is, and um, also how important it is in these vast areas that individuals become involved. And this is where Tim's going to come back in and tell us about more about his organization and uh, the importance of, as Mark highlighted, understanding that it is a poisoning incident. So, Tim, tell us a little bit about what your organization does and the literal you know, crime scene detectives of understanding and preserving the evidence at a poisoning scene. Thank you, Ellie. The, the wildlife poisoning prevention and conflict resolution has uh, focused predominantly on the conflicts between pesticides and, and uh, wildlife, and that, that is our uh, key program, our anchor program. And um, th that is where the poisoning prevention comes into it. And one of the biggest uh, problems you know, the poisoning prevention where, where I first became involved was um, studying conflict between farmers and predators and uh, applying systems thinking to that conflict so that one could determine whether the management action that was applied to control or to manage predators was appropriate and effective and whether the, the, uh, 
response by the by the predators and the the carnivore ecology system um, had responded to the action taken by the farmer and how effective the management action and the control was. And my conclusion from that study, that was a master's degree, and the conclusion was that the only effective controls were the non-lethal controls where somebody would put in a boma to protect their livestock from lions and lights and bells and whistles and a whole lot of other, um, other preventative measures. We're but, learning the same thing here in the U.S., that the more lethal attack we take on carnivores and predators, the more widespread the bounce-back effects are in terms of um, upscale and uh, uh, population explosions of the non-targeted species, the, the, the prey animals that these carnivores prey upon. So now we're seeing that in, in Africa and sweeping across to Namibia that the same is applying, that lethal control on carnivores is not the answer to solving this problem. Correct? Exactly, exactly, uh, Ellie. And, um, you know, then, then going on uh, beyond that, one, one has to understand that if a farmer has uh, taken a deliberate action uh, to kill something with uh, pesticides, it's illegal. So, of course, it's, it's hidden away as best he can. And the same as Mark said, when when poachers um, lace a carcass, their intention is, you know, when one sees vultures circling at a kill, it, you don't often see them circling on the way down. They're circling on the thermal going up. And, and so the circling vultures alert the rangers and the enforcement authorities to the fact that there's a carcass there. Now, if there's no, there are no vultures, then nobody's alerted. And with the vast areas that we work in, um, there, there just aren't enough people to report poisonings, to observe them and to report them. And then, you know, so if, if they are reported, um, you know, who, who has the funds? Everybody would love to see a, a live vulture or a live elephant. Um, you know, so a dead elephant, who's going who's gonna to fund us to go and look at, um, you know, pick up bits of dead elephant for toxicology. But this is a very important part of the whole cycle. Well, you've highlighted a, a very critical chain of events here that, um, A, how important vultures are to the ecosystem, and it's a frighteningly clever uh, use that of understanding of vulture ecology that the, the circling vultures is what alerts people. So if there's no vultures, no one gets alerted. Who's going to be alerted if there is someone to alert, and who's going to be able to respond? And the kind of funding and tools and equipment and personnel in these vast areas that it takes to be able to respond, even if someone were to report it. So um, this brings us yeah. into this crime scene detection and and the training that your organization is doing. So, by the way, for our listeners, please do visit www.wildlifeprevention. Uh, what's your, the website again, please? And um, we'll it's, highlight that. It's www.wildlifepoisoningprevention.co.za. So please visit that, and you can learn a lot more about this issue because we don't have near enough time to cover everything that I would love to cover in this conversation today. 
and then follow um, Tim and on Facebook, and also Mark on Facebook under K O A R, which um, he and his wife Charlie uh, do a lot to announce and uh, inform their readers and followers. And upcoming soon, we're going to be heading into a break here soon, but you're starting a program and you're doing training to bring about crime scene detection and crime scene preservation. Tell us a little bit about that, Tim, and how that will work with people like Mark who are far out in the rural areas. Um, Ellie, what what I'm hoping to achieve with this um, workshop is um, to get a number of interested parties together, as many as we can from NGOs and government organizations, uh, private individuals, and to, to build a community of practice. So I will train them on the, the most abused uh, pesticides, what they look like, what the, uh, what the people should look for, what the different, uh, how the different chemicals affect mammals or birds differently, and then a little bit of the crime scene investigation, how to investigate the crime scene firstly so that it's, it's safe and then it's for the human operators working there, how, which, uh, how to do the autopsy, the post-mortem, which organs to extract, how to deal with those organs so that they can be chilled and taken away for toxicology. That's a big problem for us because our toxicology laboratories are few and far between. But creating this circle is very important to me because what we'd like to do is to identify the toxin uh, through that toxicology. So we have a verified factual report that we can go back into the chemical industry associations. We can say to them, a particular company who is selling a particular chemical in that area um, has been indirectly responsible for this poisoning event. I have to add that you know, Smith and Wesson can't be held responsible for all firearms that are abused in crime. And in the same way, the chemical companies can't be held responsible for chemicals that are abused in crime. But by a collaborative effort, we can, we can take some steps to try to prevent a reoccurrence of that abuse. So we're also trying to link in with the chemical registrars, the regulators of the chemicals in, in the various countries in the region, so that they too will take note of the most toxic chemicals and perhaps add some tighter restrictions or stronger regulation um, and, and put in a, a few more checks and balances to ensure or to preempt the scenario which exists where the chemicals are going out into the um, illegal markets and the um, and the, the um, uh, throughout, the, throughout the ecosystem, throughout the communities, throughout. Well, so what you're getting... trying to accomplish is create a net a, a network of communities with a professionalism and the tools to train and record and report. A poisoning crime. So we've got a couple of minutes left here. I have a quick question. Is restoration of a poisoning crime scene possible so that it doesn't continue to kill everything that comes into contact with it? 
Eli, in most cases, it 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 is it is to an extent, because um, you know, for example, the way that we've rest, we've restored the um, cyanide scenes in Hwange uh, National Park in Zimbabwe is to is to use uh, a normal pool chlorine and to sprinkle it around on this on the surface and then water it in because and I'm not sure of the chemistry but there's a bonding and it neutralizes that cyanide. So that's one can't on, do that. on both terrestrial and uh, um, water waterways or no, or, or no, lakes. No, no, no. One can't do one can't do it where there's running water because uh, well the, the toxicologists can explain all of those details. One can only do it on dry ground where you're washing the the cyanide into the soil to make it not available. So but once one it's in, a, in a, a, a river system or a waterway, it stays potent and just continues to cascade through the landscape, or it, does it have a half-life or a, or, or a it, lifespan it, where it becomes all, no longer toxic? Yes, all of these chemicals have a, have a half-life, but in, during that breakdown period, they still do a lot of damage. And if you take the product um, Aldicarb or Temic that we spoke about earlier on, its half-life is 42 days. Now, the way that we get rid of that is it's, it's designed to kill nematodes predominantly, earthworms. And so we dig that in and wash it into the soil with water. Now, we live in, uh, in some parts of Namibia, people, uh, their children 10 years old haven't seen rain yet. So um, in dry parts of the country, getting water into those areas is terribly difficult. So it it becomes a sweep-up or a clean-up operation like that. And well, we, really, I'm sorry, really I have to interrupt us. We have to go to a break. But I'm hoping our listeners are getting in a, a concept of the context and how huge this problem is. So stick with us. We'll be right back with Mark and Tim. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. He'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big. Scary. Beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. 
In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Tired of lackluster results with your marketing? Craving more leads in your business? Tune into the Mojo Marketing Edge with the team behind Mojo Global Marketing, Ira Rosen and Corey Michael Sanchez. Winners of the Marketer of the Year, they will show you how to generate daily leads, build databases of raving fans, and close deals faster than ever before. See what's hot right now and how you can tap into it to generate an endless supply of customers and clients. The Mojo Marketing Edge can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. We're on a very intriguing, devastating, interesting conversation of the results of wildlife poisoning. And uh, over the first part of this program, you've hopefully gotten an idea of just how critical and how devastating the poisonings are. We haven't even gotten into the actual physical effects of what these poisons do to the animal that gets infected with it. But what we are doing and why we're here today is to highlight some of the solutions that are being implemented, and uh, that is this wildlife poisoning prevention control and crime scene detection and tools. So, Mark, uh, I understand you initiated this project, and Tim is sort of a co-partner, cohort, and the NGO side of putting this all together. Tell us what this workshop is, when it is, because it's important to get the word out, and who is being involved. Tim gave us some of that information, but tell us, tell us how, where we're going to go from here. All right. Uh, I, I think I just need to lead up uh, briefly. I started earlier. Um, uh, we started an organization which we call POWAG, which is P-O-W-A-G, which stands for Poisoning of Wildlife Action Group. It was a small group of us up in the northern uh, parts of Namibia and included um, two or three NGOs involved in, uh, wild, in, 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 in vultures as well as uh, 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 wildlife or, or carnivore protection in this area. And then we also included uh, one of the community development uh, um, uh, NGOs as well as a representative from our Ministry of Environment and Tourism. And uh, this very small group we call uh, POWAG, and um, we have now initiated a workshop where we were trying to get together as many people as possible that uh, could help with the control of poisons in Namibia. Although we recognize this is a transboundary issue, and it in fact is not only, it does not only involve one country, it involves everything, uh, our neighboring countries, Angola, Zimbabwe, Zambia, Botswana, and South Africa. Um, we have only got the capability of altering uh, our own country. So the idea is to start a workshop in this country 
and put in place measures where the, where poisons and the control of poisons can be implemented, as well as changing legislation to be more effective um, with uh, you know with following up um, these uh, uh, poisoning incidents where people are misusing uh, poisons to kill various forms of wildlife. Um, and the, um, we decided to bring in a, a professional facilitator, which is where Tim, uh, Tim Snow comes in with his organization. It is a three-day workshop, and it is being held uh, in the northern parts again, in this Caprivi uh, uh, Kavanga region, uh, at Popper Falls Resort. Um, it's a three-day workshop um, between the 17th and the 19th, 6th, uh, 17th and the 19th of uh, February this year. And we are trying to get together as many government organisations and um, the uh, the distributors and 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 um, manufacturers of poisons um, together in one group under one roof um, to talk about the problem of poisons. Our intention is not to get um, a whole bunch of NGOs and uh, individuals that are already aware of the problem. We actually want to get together people that are not aware of the problem and make them aware of the problem and get them to alter the way they produce and distribute poisons and also to alter the legislation to control uh, the use of poisons. We could be finding in Namibia with easy, how easily accessible poisons are, um, the legislation is totally outdated and there just aren't any control measures. There aren't any uh, boots on the ground. And uh, also to clear up one fact I didn't put in earlier on, the use of poisons in Namibia is actually not that new when it comes to problem animal control. The use of strychnine and other forms of poison to, court, to, to, to kill jackals, caracal, leopard, lion, um, as problem animals used by farmers is quite an old situation. That is completely different to the use of poisons being used um, you know, to lace uh, uh, poachers, carcasses. So we, we've got two different types of use of poisons in this country. The one is quite old uh, and well, well controlled and well fought by various NGOs and has been for years. This form of, of, of using poisons um, you know, to kill edible game, like uh, the cyanide being used to kill elephants and also lacing carcasses with poison to avoid um, detection by the authorities to kill the uh, uh, to kill the vultures. That's a new concept. So our intention in this workshop is actually to get together a group of people and make them aware that there is a poisoning problem in this country. The idea then is for it to escalate into the neighbouring countries like Botswana, Zambia, Zimbabwe, Angola, and uh, and then throughout South Africa, and use uh, our results from our workshop here as a model to uh, then do the same in other countries and then uh, precipitate what uh, what Tim wants to do um, uh, with the community of practice so that it is not just a one country d uh, fighting the problem because vultures travel huge distances, hundreds and thousands of kilometers. In fact, the, the, the initial poisoning incident we found a year and a half ago in Namibia um, in the Caprivi area that killed between five, five and 700 vultures included vultures from, from far down in southern Africa. That's several thousand kilometers away. I have, what you just mentioned, it brought three quick questions, maybe not quick answers, but three questions. You said poisoning of edible game. 
and the difference between problem animal, animal control and this new use, which is more wide-scale poaching for illegal wildlife trade and traffic. Once an, an animal has been poisoned with these toxins, is it still edible? Um, I was referring to the poison uh, uh, in, in, uh, in Zimbabwe where they actually uh, um, uh, um, uh, killed elephants, not only for the ivory, but also took meat, I believe. They've also tried that on the, in the farming areas. Uh, there's a few isolated incidences in the in the in the western northwestern areas of Namibia where they've uh, where they've poisoned uh, watering watering holes and taken out uh, oryx and kudu, and all they do is they cut out the insides. So the poisons they use there are, are, are uh, I wouldn't say mild, but as I said earlier, we've heard that the use of jay's fluid. Maybe Tim can correct me on this if that's plausible or just a rumor, mm -hmm. but uh, generally the, the local people will poison a cock, a, a, a poison a water hole then uh, with, uh, with the dead animals, they'll just cut out the entrails, um, which has got if the poison. If I can come in. Yeah, yeah, sure. Come on in, Tim. Um, the, uh, it, it is very, very definitely a, a very serious public health risk to the users of those uh, pesticides, as Mark says. They, they may they may take out the the entrails, but um, the the toxin spreads through the whole body system. It in many cases causes cardiac arrest and and um, you know the the animal dies from that. But the toxin is circulated through the whole body uh, through through the blood and the nervous system. So, th so if that, someone were to that, eat a person were that, to come across that, they too would be affected. Now, the lethal dosages and the different measures of lethal dosages comes into it. So the, the human may, for example, eat a guinea fowl that has been poisoned, or they may eat uh, meat from an oryx that has been now uh, sliced off and it's been cooked, and uh, so some of the toxins are, are, um, are removed or destroyed, but there's still enough that they cause uh, sub-lethal effects, and there's the difference between an acute poisoning which is immediate or a chronic poisoning which is over the long term. And you find many people in these rural communities who are guilty of this bushmeat uh, gathering practice where the elders end up with uh, cataracts, um, shaky hands, um, other central nervous system disorders, tremors, you know, uh, jerking, shaking, convulsions, and, and other health problems. Um, in, As a um, result um, of of, of long-term ingestion of toxic meat. Yes, and I have investigated a case in the past where, where a, um, a hunter actually took the meat back to his family and his wife and children died. The police declined to prosecute because they felt that he, had, he will suffer forever with the knowledge that his action killed his family. Um, Ellie, could I come in with, with, with something here as well? Absolutely. Okay, you know, one of, one of our big concerns and should be uh, and, and will be something that we have to point out to our delegates at the workshop if they are government officials, and so far we've got quite a big following of government officials, is, you know, up to now the kind of the, the poisoning that we actually uh, have, have a problem with here in this immediate area you know, the poisoning of carcasses, so far hasn't actually 
um, affected any humans, but it is very close to that point. We have a, a large population of nomadic bushmen and other local people that wander around these areas and forage, um, and where, where, where these carcasses are being laced with poison. Now, it's very likely um, that you know poachers will, will shoot an elephant, poison the carcass, walk away, um, hoping that it'll kill the vultures, and the next thing is a a nomadic a group of 30-plus vult, uh, um, uh, not vultures, but bushmen pitch up. And um, we all know from pre- anybody that knows bushmen uh, culture, they walk around in, in these nomadic bags, uh, bands, large bands. And if they were to tackle that, that uh, elephant carcass, they'd devour that carcass in, in, uh, in, in a matter of hours or, or put it out and then you know, sit on that carcass for a week until they've, they've eaten everything. And then you have 30, 40 uh, people that are being killed. <clears throat> and also, you know, meat can be taken off and sold in the markets in these rural areas as well. And then it could spread into, you know, like Tim's saying, you know, residual um, doses of, 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 of poison uh, in, 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 into the population. In, in Namibia, we don't have any, any uh, structure within, within our lead or within our our organization, yeah, our, our government organization, to actually monitor this, uh, which is one of the reasons why we've in, uh, um, included uh, uh, the health services in our, uh, our delegates, trying to invite them in as well, because they need to put a structure in where they will look out for residual poison symptoms in, uh, in, in patients coming to these rural hospitals. So here we have a workshop coming up February this month, 17th through the 19th, and um, you had said you were trying to get the people who aren't aware of this, so that there's a difficulty right there. How do you get people who you don't know don't know? So how can we help? How can um, our wild world and our listeners help raise awareness of this upcoming workshop? Is there the possibility or the desire to have it be a webinar? Is there funding, a funding source? I know Tim and I have spoken about um, Wild Eyes and uh, his group collaborating through grant funds, so our listeners can donate. Uh, how, how do you go about, how can we, how can we help? Can I because hopefully in? our listeners are getting a concept of the magnitude of this issue. Yeah, so Mark, you, Mark, you go ahead and I'll follow. Okay. Um, yeah, we've got um, this workshop at the moment is being funded uh, by uh, the Embassy of the United States of America, coincidentally. Uh, and they promised that if it goes well, they will, they will provide additional funding. But then, of course, we will have to source that funding. Um, funding, as we all know, or at least us in, the, in Namibia here, uh, is very difficult to get hold of. But we... We will have to have follow-up workshops, um, you know, from this. This is, this is uh, the intention of this workshop is to set an example, which will be followed by other countries and possibly follow-up workshops in this very country, Namibia. So we will use, we will have, uh, we, we will want to make use of or source other funding for follow-up workshops. So this is the beginning. I'm, I'm sorry to have to interrupt, but we've only got a minute or two left. So... This is this is the starting point. You're, it, it, it's sort of, well, actually, it's the middle, but it's a beginning point where people yes. can become involved and become aware. So, yes. Tim, you are going to jump in here. How can how can we help? What can we do? 
Ellie, well, you know, funding funding is one of uh, our big problems. Um, you know, as Mark has alluded to, this is the first of of many. I would like to build this community of practice um, across Southern Africa and right up into Eastern Africa. Um, we're we're at the point, I think, both Mark and I, at the point in our careers where we don't really wish to make a big buck. We like to make a big difference. And uh, I'd like to stick with that motto and say, you know, that is what we're trying to do. We're trying to train trainers so that we have a cascading uh, message going down to everybody. And I, I'm prepared to talk to anybody who's prepared to listen. Um, well, that's that's the best way to start. So for our listeners, what you're understanding here and what you're hearing here today is the magnitude of this issue, the, the sweeping consequences, not only on tipping points of wildlife, the charismatic, charismatic megafauna and our carnivores and predators, and the, the ecosystem, how it flows through, the devastating consequences, and that here... Right here, you're hearing about two people that are creating a systematic change, engaging uh, all levels of society, from government to the rural farmers to the nomadic bushmen. So please visit KOAR, K-O-A-R, on Facebook. Visit Our Wild World on Facebook. And visit Tim Snow at uh, Wildlife Poisoning Conflict and Resolution on Facebook. I may have had that backwards. Type it in, do a search, find out more information, and please, please donate. I'm sorry, but today we're out of time. Um, I want to thank you, Tim and Mark, so much for this enlightening conversation. Thank you, Ellie. It's been my pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Ellie. It's been my pleasure as well. And I hope we can follow up and learn more about this because we barely got to touch the tip of the iceberg. So, unfortunately, we're out of time. This is Ellie Weiss in Our Wild World. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 